And now it is time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning and welcome to We Are Just Christians. We are very glad you're with us today. Thank you very much on this beautiful morning in South Florida. It's also Mother's Day, which is great. We really appreciate all you mothers out there. In fact, all the women out there who listen to this show, we're very grateful for you. You know, I was reading something this week, Gary, and we'll, I don't want to get sidetracked instantly, but I will just for a second. But that, you will anyway. But, but actually, <laughs> the truth is that, uh, you know, of course, a lot of women have never had a child, can't can't have child children for various seemingly insignificant reasons, but it's a very delicate process. Or they just are never blessed with a mate. But that doesn't mean that they aren't built specifically by their created nature to be mothers. And their own feminine nature makes them suited to be mothers, whether they actually fulfill that or not. We might come back to that in a minute. But let me anyway, let me let's get started with the show. We really appreciate you listening today. And as as you may know, you may not know, this is a live call-in show, and so we'll be getting giving you the numbers in just a moment, so you can reach us here and some other ways to contact the show. We'd love to have your participation, and you don't have to have any fear or embarrassment for doing that. My name is Mike Schmidt. I'm the preacher and one of the elders for the Church of Christ here on Savona Boulevard. And with me is Gary Jones. How you doing, Gary? I'm doing good this morning, Mike. Doing well. Your usual partner in crime I'll try to get the right words. Yes, I understand. But um, Gary is here this morning, and he is the other elder at the church here. We do want to send out a special uh, uh, prayer and encourage you all to pray for Gary's wife. She fell ill on Friday evening with stroke-like symptoms. She's been in the hospital ever since. They haven't found anything yet, but uh, she is a, a real important cog in the church here and the work that goes on in the lives of many people. So we're praying for Sharon. But in any event, so Gary is a little, uh, I appreciate him being here because I know his mind is probably elsewhere. But in any event, you can reach We Are Just Christians at 772-340-1590, 772-340-1590, the usual call-in number for WPSL. And Ray there at the station will take your call, patch it through to us, and we can have a conversation. If you want to ask a question and go away, that's fine. But we, we really love for you to stick around so we can follow up with questions and make sure we got everything clear. You may have other comments and so forth. But And whether we agree or disagree, we will promise to treat you fairly and give you the last word on whatever is being said in this case. We're not here to just have an argument for the sake of getting people to listen because people argue. Uh, and if we disagree, we, we aren't going to apologize for disagreeing, but we're going to try to give you a Bible answer for the position that we take or the reason we give for our statements. And, and maybe you can try to do the same thing. But in any event, you don't have to be a believer to call in. You don't have to be a church person. We'd love to hear from people, uh, even their bad experiences with religious people in churches or the Bible. We'd, be, we'd love to hear from you about those things. Uh, you can educate us, and perhaps we can learn something. So we we appreciate your participation in the show. And if you'd like to call 772-340-1590. Now, also, uh, what we would uh, uh, like, you can also, I'm sorry, I'm losing my train of thought. You can also reach the show uh, by texting uh, the show. You can reach us by text message either now or anytime during the week. You can text my number or Gary's number. My number is 772-260-6120. 772-260-6120 is the number you can text the show even this morning while we're sitting here. And, and we'll try to respond to your text. Or if you want to call, text during the week, people do that too. Uh, we can respond. We, may, we can maybe use the material or the question on a future show. You can reach Gary, 772-260-6220. Very similar number, 772-260-6220. And we'd be glad to hear from you by that method. Also, email is open to you if you want to do something longer. You're driving, you can't do talk now or something. Email justchristians at att.net. Justchristians 
at att.net. You know, Gary, I, I, we mentioned from time to time, but people may not know that you'd, and we'd like you to tell your friends about the show if you uh, haven't already, and if you enjoy listening to the show. You can tell your friends wherever they are because they can listen to the show. Not, and to, uh, not only do they, can listen to the show without having an AM radio, they can listen anywhere in the world. All you need is a computer. Yeah, all you need is a computer, a phone, or whatever. But WPSL's website, WPSL.com, and you go there, and you can click the Listen Live button, and you can listen to the show while it's on the air live, just like everybody else does. And you can even call in from anywhere you want to uh, to the show at that point, even through your computer. If you want to listen to a recording of the show, it's available on on our uh, website at wearejustchristians.com wearejustchristians all one word dot com scroll down about halfway down the first page and you'll see listen to the radio show and we have recordings of this whole of this show going back several years and you can listen there you, you can get that also as a podcast so you can listen in the car wherever you want to do at your leisure and so forth and some people use it Gary I understand to help themselves go to sleep at night to put the show on so and and um I don't know if they were joking or not when they told me that. But in any event, uh, that's the that's the some of the ways you can contact the show or get the show. I, it's also if you've got one of those um, Google devices or Amazon Alexa, I think it is. All you have to do is say uh, "Play WPSL 1590." It'll pop up, and you can listen to it live our, in our, your house. Our Sunday morning classes and sermons and Wednesday night classes are live streamed, right. and that, you can get those on. On Facebook or uh, YouTube. That's be- yeah. That's and that's beyond this show. But you can also uh, on Facebook. We are just Christians is a is a Facebook page and a YouTube channel, and you can get the recordings that we do for the live stream for our Bible class on Sunday mornings, and our worship service at eleven o'clock. And so you get to those see and hear the sermons that I do. Uh, on Sunday mornings are all all recorded on our website also. So there's lots of available resources. You can search those by subjects. Lots of available resources if you're interested in those things, and we'd invite you to take advantage of that. In any event, um, we want to welcome you to the show, as I mentioned, and we've got a, two or three things that we can talk about this morning. See, well, I would uh, like to ask a question, okay. and, I, and I don't want to answer it. I don't want to answer it. I would like for our listeners to think about it. Is Here's a question. Can someone be saved without having God forgive their sins? Hmm. So think about Interesting that. Interesting question. Well, no, no, all I'm asking is think about that and look in the scriptures and see what you find. It's it's, a, it's an interesting exercise. I started doing that last week and started. Have you got some reason to uh, think that someone believes that? I, well, I'm I think, to think, I think who, some. I think the the logical interpretation or the when you carry it to the end of what they believe, it implies that I don't think that you they, don't have to be forgiven. You don't have to be forgiven because okay, uh, some of the things that they say you have to do to be saved, God doesn't say i forgive your sins at that point right and so that's just a thought i'm i'm going to try that and leave that with our listeners and think about that okay i will say interestingly and you i've been thought about this many times um i think there are people in the evangelical world uh who say things that they haven't thought the the conclusion the consequences of through very carefully obviously and they say them because they sound really religious they sound really good like for example that we're saved by grace alone the the bible doesn't say we're saved by grace alone the implication there is what gary see if you can guess what i think the implication is you're basically you're saved in in the way that god is is friendly to you or is sympathetic to you or is or is favorable to you in the way he looks at you but but then you don't go back and look at why well why? if you're if you're saved by grace alone then everybody's going to be saved, saved right because god is a gracious god and, and the implication of that the, the implication of the feel good 
that's a feel-good kind of a statement. We're saved by grace alone. Man is too sinful to ever have anything to do with his salvation. I, we all know that man can't save himself, but but even to have anything to do with it, he's too sinful. So if anybody's going to be saved, we're saved by grace alone. And so therefore, since God's a gracious and loving God, and God we know from the scriptures is not willing that any should perish. He, he doesn't want anybody to perish. So but therefore, it, I would conclude we're all going to be saved. And yet yep. the same people, they don't believe that. And or, yet they keep even, saying we're saved by grace alone. Or even that, as you read the scriptures, you realize that God does not extend his grace to just everyone. There is a reason. Okay. Well, now that's a whole different statement. Yeah. But when you put the word alone in there, Gary, then that, now you've altered the, the whole, whole thing. thing. Do you and I believe we're saved by grace? Absolutely. Are we saved by grace alone? We are not saved by grace alone. Okay, and grace isn't the only characteristic of God that comes into play when you begin to talk about man's salvation. Well, uh, we'll throw your question out. Just what is it again? The can someone be saved without having God forgive his sins? Without having God forgive his sins. Okay. In other words, if God does not forgive your sins, will He save you anyway? All right. We'll leave that out there. I'm just, I'm just, I just like, like people to think about. I'm it. that kid in the back of the room. Ooh, 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 ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I'm that seal in the back of the room, you know, <laughs> with my hand up. But I'll wait. Well, we have a caller uh, on the line. Um, are you there, Jerry? Uh, thank you, Mike, for taking my call. And Gary, I was wondering about uh, when Moses brought the uh, t- uh, tablets down from uh, the mountain. And uh, were they two tablets, and was his uh, faith already tested by that time as far as uh, being asked to uh, uh, take your firstborn? Uh, and had his uh, faith already been tested before that, that point? And the reason I'm asking is because all my life, uh, the only two commandments I knew was uh, thou shalt not commit a dog for you, and then the next commandment, uh, thou shalt not steal. And I assumed it was the sixth and the seventh commandment. And I found out later in my life that the, the eighth commandment is thou shalt not steal. And I didn't know that. But my question is uh, about was his uh, faith already tested by that time? And I'd like to listen to Raphael, Mike, if you'll be okay. That'd be fine, Jerry. That'll be fine. Well, interesting questions I'm, and, and to think about here. Well, um, I, think, I think there's a little confusion in this, and yet there is probably a connection. Yes, Moses brought two tablets or two ta- uh, tables, as it were, of stone down from the Mount, from Mount Sinai. And on those tablets or tables, depending on the version that you use, um, is were the Ten Commandments, and so in, in Exodus 24 and um, verse 12, the Lord said to Moses, "Come up to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments which I have written, that you may teach them." And so he told everybody to Moses, he told Aaron his brother and. Joshua to go up to the mountain and so I mean to stay there and um, he took Joshua with him up to the mountain and told Aaron to stay there and God uh, it said in verse says in verse 16 the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud and so forth and so he gave him these tablets and there's a whole big long story here about that Moses came down from the mountain saw the people committing adultery and works being the golden calf to make a long story short threw the tablets down and broke them and God had to write them again with his finger uh, and they kept those tablets of stone inside the ark of the covenant that they made not long after this they were instructed to make that box a box the ark was a box about two by four or so and somewhat deep uh, a little deeper, and so they they put the tables of stone in there, along with two or three other things, Aaron's rod that budded, and and so forth, some manna, and they carried that around with them even in, on into the land of Canaan and then into the temple. 
so these tablets and stuff were there, but eventually they were lost. Now, uh, so yes, uh, he was given tables of stone with the Ten Commandments on them, which we'll get to in a moment. I think that there might be some confusion, though, because um, Moses wasn't the one who was told to give up his firstborn son that was Abraham. as a sacrifice. That was Abraham. That was year, many years before this, a few hundred years before this, with Abraham in Genesis 22. You have the story of God coming to Abraham after after he had promised Abraham that he was uh, going to make him a nation, going to make him a great nation, have his descendants be as the stars of the heavens and so forth. Um, he he has, he his son is finally born. He's finally got the heir, Isaac, which makes it to me even more important that basically Sarah had been barren up until this time. He, he, he didn't have any children. He's at all. an old man now, and he's an old man. Both of them Nine, in their nineties. Both of them past the age of childbearing, and now the only son he's got without really any physical hope of getting another physical son, he's asked to sacrifice. Well, God already told him, this is the son, I'm, I promised yeah, you. This yeah, is right. the one that's going to be your heir. This is the one. You're the one that all the descendants will come. And then God says, in Genesis 22, it says, and I came to pass after these things, Genesis 22, 1, that God tested Abraham, said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. And he said to him, take now your son, your only son, Isaac whom you love. Now, he had another child, Esau, but he didn't consider him the heir by only son, or it means the chosen one. Take your son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the mount, land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and his took his son Isaac, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place which God had told him. He didn't know if they'd have wood there, so he took wood with him and they carried it. And so in any event, this is the testing of Abraham. Um, and it's interesting that we don't find out for sure later what Abraham was thinking at the time until we're told later that he was thinking God could raise this son up from the dead. Yeah, Book of Hebrews says that, that he, he has accounted that he had faith and he counted that God would raise him up from the dead. He believed that God said, this is your son. He's the one who's going to be the heir. And now, and then he believed God when God said, okay, go offer him up as a burnt offering to me. Now, um, that involved killing the offering and laying it on the altar and, and burning it as a sacrifice to God. And so he had done this with animals all of his life. Now, this is all before the law of Moses. All of this is before. That's interesting. Hundreds of years before right. Moses. Christians call this event the sacrifice of Isaac. Uh, the, the Jews have called this event the binding of Isaac because they lay a very important uh, part of this story as to the fact that Isaac, who was now not a child, he was, he was probably anywhere from 13 to 20 years old at this point in time, he, that he willingly allowed his father to bind him and put him on the altar. And that's ironic that Jews think that because this event is so very prototypical of the sacrifice of Christ. Yes. Abraham's only son was offered up even though his father loved him as a sacrifice and the son willingly was bound and put on the altar to die. And, but in and the, the case, scriptures say that God stayed Abraham's hand when he got ready to kill him. Usually they slit the throat of the of the uh, of the victim that he stayed his hand so he couldn't do it and said, now I know that you believe me. That you have faith in me. And so he blessed him for that. Point. But in the case of the, of the Lord and Jesus, it actually followed through and became. Yes, he the did. Example. He did through. There was no there was. And the reason that the reason that the Jews don't call it the sacrifice of Isaac is because he wasn't actually sacrificed. I think that's part of the reason. The Akedah, Akedah, Akeda, I may not be pronouncing it right, but you can look up in, on the internet. A K E D A H is what the, this event is called, and I'm not sure which of these 
it, it, I'm sure it refers to one of these verbs about this burnt offering or sacrifice here in this chapter. And I, I had looked it up in a while, so I just can't remember which one it is. But in any event, um, Isaac watches this whole thing and and he says, but he said, here, father, look, here's the fire, the wood. And, and where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Where is the lamb? Well, oh, no, that's a prophetic question, too. Where is the lamb? The lamb is coming. Okay, not now. He's coming. And he said, and what Abraham said was, my son, God will provide for himself for a burnt offering. Some versions read, God will provide himself a burnt offering. If you take out, even in English, God will himself provide or provide himself a burnt offering. That's the grammar. So was it God who became the burnt offering in the case of Christ? Yes, it was. So there's quite a bit of symbolism and typology in this event but don't confuse that with the well i shouldn't say don't confuse it this isn't this this isn't moses coming down from the mountain now here is a connection about this because from this point on and i think it also stems from the incidents of the uh, passover when God later on, when Mo, when Moses was getting ready to lead the children of Israel out of slavery, the same Moses who got the tablet shortly after, God said, you put blood on the doorpost of your house and you eat the lamb like I tell you, and I will pass over your house, but I will kill every firstborn son of every house that does not have this blood. The blood will make me pass over the house until so we get the Passover from that. And so God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over. And so the Egyptians firstborn died. Now, from this event and perhaps from this sacrifice of Isaac. Comes the occasion in the law for God to require the redemption of the firstborn sons of all of Israel from that point on. Whenever a son was born in Israel, God had required through the law that they on the eighth day that they circumcised this child and that they redeem him back from God. He belonged to God. God says, I, I, since I redeemed you from Egypt and I saved your firstborn sons, I will require your firstborn sons. And so they had to go to the temple or the tabernacle, pay a fee, could be you know, two turtle doves or a ram, depending on how much money they had. That's how we know that. That's how we know that Joseph and Mary were poor, because the mm-hmm. book of Luke it says they offered two two little birds for Christ. They didn't have the money to offer another animal, so they offered two little birds for Christ. But they redeemed him back. God says he's mine. You go to the temple, you make a sacrifice, you offer another animal in his place, and I'll let you keep your son at home. Otherwise, he belongs to me. And so that's how this now this was instituted in a formal way in the law of Moses um, for all the all of the all the children of Israel in all their generations. Now, did they keep this? Um, perhaps they keep they kept this, you know. Um, let me find let me find this uh, it's in Leviticus is where I know one place is here he says um, he tell he tells him in Leviticus 24 uh, or excuse me Leviticus 27 about different sacrifices he says in verse 26 this is one of the mentions of this but the firstborn of the animals which should be the which should be the Lord's firstborn no man shall dedicate, whether it is an ox or a sheep, it is the Lord's. And he can, you can redeem it and all the other things. And so he, he um, tells them part, that's, that includes not only their sons, but it also includes the, the, all the firstborn is mine. And you read in, in Numbers chapter 3, he tells them, uh, now, behold, I myself have taken the Levites, verse 12, Numbers 3:12. I've taken the Levites from among the children of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the children of Israel. Therefore, the Levites shall be mine because all the firstborn are mine. 
on the day that I struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified to myself all the firstborn in Israel, both man and beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. And so he goes on. Then there's other sacrifices that were mentioned. So this is the connection. It's connected to Moses in that Moses wrote the laws, given the law on Sinai. The law was reflective of God passing over the firstborn of Egypt. But that firstborn concept was shown in, especially and particularly in Isaac, Isaac under Abraham's day. And the word firstborn, it literally means that, you know, the first one, as they say, that opens the womb. But in the Bible, it's used in a particular way. And when you see how it's used, it means the chosen one. So that um, Abraham had a son who was born to him and his family first, you see. Uh, Ishmael, but he was not the firstborn. The well, one who was born second. The he was the chosen. The, he was not the firstborn of his wife. He of his wife, the, but he was the he was the firstborn that of Abraham's seed, Abraham's children. He says he's not the firstborn because he's not he's not chosen. And you see, this same thing goes all the way through. It means it means chosen. And so we're considered the first. The churches that called the church of the firstborn mm-hmm. ones in the book of Revelation uh, and other places. So we're the firstborn of Israel. We're the chosen sons, as we're all Christians are, male or female. We're all the firstborn chosen ones, just as Christ is the firstborn. Now, the other thing that Jerry yeah. brought up. Paul Paul touches on that subject in the Galatian letter, talking about basically the, the son that was of the bondwoman and the son of the wife. Yeah, in Galatians 3, is it? Yes. Yes. Um, and so that, that that's what he means by, he's talking about these two men, Ishmael and Isaac, uh, here, and their, and their mothers, really. Uh, I said Revelation, it's really, uh, there's two mentions of this. Uh, Christ is the firstborn from the dead, in Colossians 1.18, but in Hebrews 12.23, We've come to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. So I know that that's not Christ as the church of the firstborn because he says the firstborn in Hebrews 12 are registered in heaven. It's a plural. It's plural means. So it means firstborn ones who are registered in heaven, Hebrews 12, 23. But the other thing that he mentioned, Garrett Jerry mentioned, uh, is this idea of the various commandments. And I, if my memory's correct, I believe he said that growing up, the only two commandments that kind of registered with him were thou shalt not commit adultery and thou shalt not steal. Is that right? Am I remembering that correctly? I made a little I, note I, here. I believe, I believe you're correct. I believe that's what, and I don't mean to misrepresent at all what Jerry said, but, um, you have, and, and that brings up a whole different subject of how you number the commandments, which we can get into. Beware of what but, the Catholic Church Yeah, does. the Catholic Church has a very bogus numbering system for the commandments, which I can talk about in just a moment. But, um, the and those are very important commandments. It's funny, the first, I think, six commandments are about, um, first four commandments, I should say, are about God. The other six are about man. So then you have verse 13, Exodus 20 is where the first place in the Bible that you find these commandments. And uh, you, Exodus 20, beginning in verse, verse 3, if you really want to number them, you should use that passage, I think, to number them. Yes, and we'll come back. No other gods before me. Okay. That's and then two is one. thou shalt not make for yourself a carved image. That's number two. That's the one in the Catholic Catechism that tells you... It doesn't mention that. It just says how to honor the saints, relics, and images in the Catholic Catechism. It skips that commandment altogether. Leaves it and out. Leaves it out and just says, here's how you honor images. God says, don't may even make one, much less honor one. So that's a problem uh, for the modern Catholic. And then um, he's a jealous God. And then he goes that, that goes on. Then verse uh, 7 Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord God in vain. That's three. That's three. Four is remember the Sabbath day, verse eight, to keep it holy. 
six days you will labor. And he talks about the Sabbath day uh, much more extensively down to verse through verse 11. So that's four. Right. Right. And then five is honor your father and mother that your days may be long on the land which the Lord God is giving you. I'm going to talk about that this morning in our sermon, Lord willing, at 11 o'clock. Honor your father and mother would be five, right? Right. I hope I'm counting these correctly. Yeah, that, that's right. Six and is you shall not murder. You shall not murder. And I think the King James incorrectly says thou shalt not kill. But if the word, if if that's taken to, and you see people standing outside Rayford Prison when they're about to execute somebody up here in Stark, with signs that says "Thou shalt not kill," um, it's interesting. Those people must never have read the Bible because they're quoting, and they even sometimes put Exodus 20 verse 13 in reference on that reference on the placard they're holding up: "Thou shalt not kill." How many books and articles have been written? saying against capital punishment, saying that uh, thou shalt not kill. If you keep reading in chapter 20 of the book of Exodus, you find God instituting several death penalty warrants for these sins. The very chapter that they quote that says that thou shalt not kill means don't execute criminals is the chapter has got several death penalties in it for things that you could do. So it's obvious they stopped reading when they got to what they thought they wanted, didn't keep reading what the text says. The word literally means do not murder. The difference between killing and murder, Gary, as you well know, you, you certainly, you, you know this. You've yeah, talked about this many times. Killing and murder are two different things. Now, at times, we can get confused about that. Doesn't mean it doesn't mean there's not any gray area or muddy area. The guy that strangled the fellow in New York City. This is what's going on there. Well, if you had a prosecutor who was doing what God said prosecutors should do would be to protect the innocent, to punish the guilty, it would be being taken more seriously, even without even without uh, uh, a I'm not trying to be politically partisan here. I just don't think I think that case was predetermined by race. And they only charge the white man in this case. That's a that's not justice, and that's why people don't respect it a lot of the time. But on the other hand, there is a a, a there is a question here, a, even a biblical question. When you take someone's life, is it justifiable or is it murder? Is it killing or is it murder? Well, we know it's killing. But is it justifiable? And the Bible has something to say about that kind of thing, uh, even an accidental killing. And I think at the very most you can get out of what happened there it was an accidental killing. Um, and so should there be punishment? Perhaps. But the Bible distinguishes. So anyway, that's one. Thou shalt not murder. Verse 13. That's the new King James I'm reading. More accurate than the King James. Then that was number now I lost track. Um, I think it was six, right? Six. It, yeah. Thou shalt not murder six and then seven. Seven, and eight, thou eight. shalt not commit adultery. Those are the two that, that Jerry, or no, um, he um, talked about thou shalt commit adultery. Then number, the next one, you shall not steal. So adultery and stealing, these two, which would be six and seven, correct? I, did, I haven't been writing this down. I should have. You should not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's eight. Nope, that's not. That's nine. I got to redo these. <laughs> that's number nine. Uh, let me go back to the. Go passage. back to him. Let's, let's go, do them over, Gary. I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't make. I, I'm sorry, folks. I know it's stupid, but I did not make it. Give me number one. That's that's uh, no I, I, no uh, no other gods. I had them before me, and right here. No other gods. Number two, uh, no images. Oh, here, I got the wrong. I got the wrong tab on my. Um, number number so two. seven and eight. You seven. You shall not commit adultery. Eight. You shall not steal. Nine. Thou shalt not bear false witness. And ten. Thou shalt right. not covet. Right. Nine is thou shalt not bear false witness. Right. And then ten is thou shalt not covet. Thy neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, or his donkey, 
or anything that's thy neighbor's. Paul summarizes this commandment in Romans, I think, 7, when he says, as the law says, thou shalt not covet. Paul makes it one commandment. And what the Catholic Church does, see, once you leave out, don't make a graven image and, and don't worship a graven image, which they do, and tell you how to honor the graven images. You got to put another one you in. You got to have another one in because you only have nine commandments, which won't float. So you have to have a tenth one. So they take number number 10 in the, if you count them right in English, and they split it. Don't covet your neighbor's house and don't covet your neighbor's wife. I think coveting your neighbor's wife would pretty much come under adultery. Yeah. Uh, close, uh, maybe. But so they, and you can't, and it's, and it's also in the, middle it's in the middle of all these other things like his donkeys and everything anything that your neighbors so it's pretty obvious verse 17 is one commandment thou shalt not covet and he lists some of the things that you shouldn't be coveting so those are the 10 commandments and they're they're uh, going going back to just a minute to that question of murder and kill uh, i keep coming back to exodus 22 and verse 2 and it says, if a man steals an ox or a sheep or slaughters it or sells it, he shall restore fivefold for an ox and so on. But then we get to verse two. It says, if the thief is found breaking in and he is struck so that he dies, there shall be no guilt for his bloodshed. Now, that would be to take a life that that is literally killing. So you're killing, but there's no there's no there's, guilt attached to no that killing guilt attached to it, because this is a thief who is threatening you, basically, in, in some way. Right. Uh, and so when once we look at those things and understand the difference gods make, we can see what actually the word means. Now, I'm not advocating that we go back and, as Christians, keep those laws of the, of, of the Old Testament. But the principles that are laid down here in the Ten Commandments are not revoked. And, and we see them repeated in the New Testament. In other words, they form a moral law that all men knew. Almost every culture has many restrictions. They're very similar, although they're not always laid out in this form of the Ten Commandments. And and so uh, it's we don't, we, our legal system is based to a large degree on the principles found in the law of Moses and in the Bible, not specifically the laws per se. But the principles of having to have witnesses and the witnesses having to face their accusers and and uh, so forth and so on. That some crime, the, the whole the whole point of the we've talked about this before. I don't want to be too repetitive, but you hear people say an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was that's how that, that's how the law was very severe and all that. Well, the law of Moses was severe, but let me tell you, the law of Moses was much less severe in many, many respects than the laws of the nations round about, if they even had laws in the nations round about Israel, much less severe, even the ones that precede this. But, and here's the reason why, it's because of that statement, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and he lists some other things. What that meant was not that, oh boy, somebody hurt you, you gotta, you gotta hurt them right back, you know. That's not what the law meant, that's not what that meant at all. The op, what it meant was a guy a guy uh, breaks your finger you don't get to cut off his arm you know well there's there's a, 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 scene. a guy steals something from your yard you don't get to shoot him there's a scene in the movie the untouchables where Sean Connery is making a statement he says here's the way it works and he says they put one of yours in the hospital and you put one of theirs in the morgue Exactly. That, that's this exact, is the way that, humans operate. That's exactly. That's what, the way they were living before the law of Moses came along. And God says, no, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. In other words, the punishment has to fit the crime, has to be proportional to the crime. This was a this was a different kind of law altogether, even than Hammurabi's code and the others. This is the meaning of the Old Testament. So it was taken by the Jews, though. This is what Jesus objected to in the Sermon on the Mount when he quoted this. You've heard it said this, yeah. but I say to you, he was saying then that they had taken it to mean exact revenge every time and make sure the revenge is, you know, really bad. He, they had taken the law completely wrong, and he was trying to correct that. He was he was he was trying to to educate them as to the precepts of the law. I believe it's kind of like what Paul said in the Roman letter. He says when the 
when the Gentiles do by nature the precepts of the law, they become a law unto themselves. Mm -hmm. In other words, God was smiling upon the fact that when they do the precepts of the law, he was pleased with that. Right. And so there were penalties for uh, these various crimes in the law, and then the, the magistrates were – the magistrates that God, God appoints are bound, whether they do it or not is another thing, but they are bound to execute – what is right and fair and proportional and fitting the crime. And that's that's how that's how our law legal system was set up. That's one of the fundamental principles of the British and American legal systems as has been distinct throughout well, the century. This this Exodus twenty two two is the very foundation for our self defense laws that we see today. Right. It it forms the very foundation for it. But they don't give you the right if your neighbor comes over and does something uh they don't give you the right if your neighbor steals something from your garage that you get to go over to his house and shoot him dead in his living room. Well, the very they next don't verse, give you that lot, that right. Neither did the Old Testament give you that right. Well, then it's exactly there in verse two. He says, if the thief is found breaking is found breaking in and he is struck so that he dies, there shall be no guilt for his blood. If the sun has risen on him, there will be guilt for his bloodshed. Mm. In other words, you go chase. Okay, go chase him down and kill him. Now you got chase him down and kill him. You're guilty. Right. Now we wrestle with those issues even today, but God addressed that in the in the law of Moses, and and He addressed it to bring about a sense of fairness. We may look at the law of Moses. Boy, that was a tough law. Well, two things about that. Number one, that's partly being said by people, as I said a moment ago, who've never actually read it. Nor have they considered the historical circumstances of the condition of the societies in which it was given. You remember when uh, Jimmy Carter thought the Shah of Iran was a terrible person um, because he had a tough police force and he had tried to modernize uh, Persia at that time. It was called Persia, Iran, and raised all their standards of living up and all that stuff. And so uh, people were opposing him, and he had a really pretty tough police force. Jimmy Carter thought this was horrible. We got to get rid of the Shah. Proceeded to help us get rid of the Shah. Within a year or so, they'd kidnapped all the, a bunch of American hostages, and there were thousands and thousands of uh, people on the streets shouting death to America and killing everybody around them. And then you realize, well, maybe there was a reason why the Shah of Iran had a tough police force. You see why he needed one, and we still see why he needed one. Anyway, we finishes up. We got another. Yeah, call and I right. think even in that circumstance, even more Iranians died under that police force than they did under. The and Shah. since then, it's been brutal. And because once again, um, oh, don't get me started on that. But but you have to recognize that in the long run, big picture, constitution or no, people get the government they deserve to some degree whatever country they're in, and if they are lawless and brutal and dishonest, the government will step in and try to correct that. Governments of men usually do so unjustly, unfairly, disproportionately, and they make it worse, but that's what's going to happen. That's what's happening in our country right now in a broad way. We may disagree about any specific instances, but what's happening now is we are paying the price with more government authority being exerted, even arming IRS agents, because we are a lawless people who cannot govern themselves effectively. That's one possibility. Now, oh, well, that's just because uh, Biden is this and Biden is that. Well, maybe. But the fact is that's a general principle. If we were people of integrity and peace in this country – and didn't resort to violence for everything, we would have a less strict government, generally speaking, especially especially given the Constitution that we have. We have the perfect formula to have a peaceful, restrictive government, but we don't want it. We, we're all dishonest in every aspect. You have to have a password you know, to do everything because everybody's a crook and a cheat. All right, I'm on my rant, Gary. We well, got to take a phone call. Well, this is the way one we comment, then take a phone <laughs> this call. This is the way we started Friday night. <laughs> yeah, I, I, just, everything is uh, it drives you crazy. 
And it's not because I'm computer illiterate. It drives you crazy. I have to have a password to be able to brush my teeth half the time just because, you know. Well, I, I can never get to my the, – the hospital tells Sharon and I we have an account there that we can log on to and we can get the test reports and the results of our test. And the security is so bad that I can never get on because – I can't remember even my the only own. people that can get on are Hillary Clinton, her cohorts up in the in the government. Yeah. I shouldn't say Hillary. She's the one that brought all this. Uh, the only people. Uh, what is it called? It's called a privacy protection into right. healthcare, and there's nothing private about any of it. Uh, especially, it makes they make it private from you. But that's why is that? It's because people are cheats and crooks, starting with the insurance companies and the lawyers that represent them, and the lawyers. All you to represent the doctors, they're all dishonest without any moral principles. Well, I and won't. I won't say they're all. All, all. okay. That's. I'm not. I'm not ready to the say the whole. All. Pro- the whole profession is riddled with people without moral principles. I would agree. And character. With that. I okay. Would agree with that. The whole profession is. Are there good? Yes. And there's many of the pers- lawyers I've known personally are fairly decent people, but except they'll they'll. Um, they will flat not tell you the truth, and that's their job. So how do you like to have a job where you sign up for it, where you know that you're going to have to be not telling the truth a lot of the time? That's interesting work if you can get it, but that's where we are. The legal system was not really designed for that purpose, but that's the way it is. All right, we got a okay, caller. Back, back to the tablets. All right, uh, Laura's on the phone here. Laura, uh, sorry to keep you waiting. What's on your mind? No, good morning, good morning. Well, just a few things. In the beginning with the question that you posed, I do believe when you come into your relationship with Jesus, which is personal to every human being that has one and will get one, and I believe that everybody will be saved because I trust when my God says something, it never fails. He's proven that. Not that he ever had to, but he does. Second of all, if you fast forward into the simplicity of the gospel, Jesus says, when somebody asked him what was the greatest commandment, he said, to love the Lord your God with all your mind, your heart, your soul, and your strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. But now we have an enemy that runs around giving everybody poor dispositions about themselves, and they can't function. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I don't know if I understood what you said initially, Laura that um you, you think all men forgiveness when yeah, I have a question surrender to the Lord yeah. sorry for the things I did in the past. So sorry for the mistakes I make today. They're not as grievous, but they're still issues I work through. So I believe I, forgiveness is very powerful to the relationship. With God and Jesus said when when he when he gave communion that it was for the forgiveness of sin. Well, yes, I, obviously grace is about forgiveness, but the idea that we're saved by grace alone—if that's all that is involved in salvation—then everybody that's ever existed will be saved, and we know that simply is not true. And the reason is because God's a gracious God. But God has more to himself than just grace. His grace is conditioned upon our response to that. Jesus even said, enter in by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad's the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it because narrow's the gate and difficult the way which leads to life, and there are few that find it. So even Jesus knew that not everybody would be saved. That's all I was saying. There are so many people out there that believe hanging out in bars, smoking and drinking and whatever have you, as long as they profess Jesus as Lord, you know that they're okay. And that's that broad road. Narrow is the ones who learn that obedience is better than sacrifice. Well, the, the idea that obedience is better than sacrifice means that there are people that were, and I think maybe you're saying this, People that think, well, I, if I go to church on Sunday or go to go to confession once in a while, I can do whatever I want and then go to confession. They don't they don't take whatever they call religion very seriously. 
they do what they want and then think God's going to justify it. If they say, oh, God, I guess I'm sorry. Uh, and, you know, they, they think that they can just kind of sin. It's a credit card thing. Lord, sin now, pray later, everything will be fine. God, God's not mocked. He isn't. You can't mock God like that. No. And so yeah, that's what he means by obedience. Uh, you can't just talk about offering sacrifices and not obey what God says. So there's more to God than just grace, as important as it is. Uh, there's more to salvation than simply faith. We're saved by grace. We're saved by faith. We're not saved by grace only. And the Bible says we're not saved by faith only. So that's all we're saying about it. Take the whole picture. And and uh, we know that not everybody's going to be saved. That's a hard truth. And I don't say that as a Christian man uh, lightly because that applies to me, too, that that uh, just because I was baptized years ago and I you know preached the gospel and all that, that doesn't guarantee my salvation because God knows what I'm doing in my heart. He knows what I'm doing behind. He knows what, where I'm really at, and he wants my obedience from to him. Yeah. My, my faith in him that leads me to do whatever I can that he says, that's what he wants. And all those other external things mean nothing if the faith isn't really there, the true faith. But on the other hand, saying I love Jesus, Lord, Lord, those who say to me, Lord, Lord, but do not do the things that I say. Jesus says those are lost. People are lost. If Luke six forty six, if you call me Lord, Lord, but do not do the things I say. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I don't know if that's what you're saying or not, Laura. But Laura, but um, I think that's important. Exactly. Yes, which no. is why you know we work on our own fruits. We work on our own relationship with God, and we try to find the church or the meeting that best helps encourage us through this lifetime. But there's no better thing than spending private time in the presence of God yourself. Right. Well, you have to have both. Christianity is both a personal thing, and we're going to be saved and judged individually, not because we belong to a particular ethnic group or a church. On the other hand, the fundamental elements of Christianity are meant to be experienced as a body and as a community and joined together with other people. And God expects me then to function in helping others to obey him in a body, in a group. Many things like communion are meant to be done by the individual, but in a group setting. And so for now, Gary had a comment, Laura, and then I think I have another question for you. Before you go, what I would just I would just be careful. Me personally, I would have to be very careful in trying to present things to somebody. I would I would not want to give someone the impression that all they have to do is profess Christ to be saved. Because they believe in Christ, that they believe in Christ, that is not all that God required. There are other conditions that God has set for his grace. And and we see that through Scripture. And I, I would be very careful not to imply to anyone right. that profession of right. Christ is all that it requires, or some kind of mental uh, assent. Right, to, some that kind that of mental assent. In Christ. Uh, that's correct. Now, Laura, the other thing you mentioned that I want to make sure I understood. You talked about the greatest commandment. What was your point about that? Oh, Jesus. Hey, man, I'm not hearing you. The commandment that Jesus gave us. You won't break the other eight. Well, the, 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 I think the, now I, I'm going to go back and make a general comment on this. Um, they, they, they talked to G, they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Well, he said, what do you read? And they said, that scribe said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And, and the, the second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Jesus said, you're correct. He said, on these two hang all the law and the prophets. Now, what he meant by that is if you were really to analyze and truly 
mind the depths of love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself, you would be doing the Ten Commandments. Because as I mentioned at the beginning, the, even the Ten Commandments had a section on honoring God, the first four, and honoring your neighbor, the la- loving your neighbor, which are the last six. Are all, that's, the, that's how you break down the, the Ten Commandments. And so Jesus said that even the prophets, see the Jews divided the scripture eh, sometimes into three, the law, the prophets, and the writing. Jesus used the colloquial law and the prophets, meaning uh, the, 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 prop, the law, the Torah, first five books, and then all the other stuff that explained the law, the history and all that, the prophets. That's all summarized by those two commandments. Now, the Jews have deduced 633, I think, from that commandments. But they're really, Jesus says, two will summarize it. Well, I just have one other way of presenting that, and I would say this. God says the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind. And the second being love your neighbor as yourself. That is the second one. Loving your neighbor as yourself is how God sees your love right. of him. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Because he says, hey, you, you, you can say you love God, but and, and but you hate your neighbor who you have seen, John yeah, does. You can't well, do that. What He's, good is it? Yeah, you're a liar if you say you love God but hate your neighbor. God wants to see our faith, and that's how he sees it. Right. God, faith that Faith is not faith that God cannot see. Right. There is no faith if you can't, if God cannot see it. And we... I was having a discussion with my, uh, I think, my son-in-law yesterday about this. We did a Passover demonstration on Friday. Something I don't know how it came up, uh, but I was telling. We were talking about maybe it was my brother. I don't know which one. I said, "Who this thing about your neighbor? Love your neighbor." But Jesus told that parable about the Good Samaritan, and uh, the, the the Good Samaritan didn't start out his day knowing this stranger he he had other business to attend to he lived next door to somebody who was he would say that's my neighbor the guy next door to my house or whatever but jesus was showing us later in the day he encountered a complete stranger in a strange odd place on the road to, to jericho from jericho to jerusalem he encountered this stranger and he had to take care of him on that day and he proved to be a neighbor to that man so the neighbors, whoever is near you on any particular day, whoever you run into or whoever you encounter on that day, that's the person that you have to love. Whoever that has occurred need. by chance. Whoever uh, has need. Whoever you run into or, or even, the, yeah, has need. And we all need to be shown love and dignity. So wherever you go every day, Jesus is is looking and seeing how is this person loving their neighbor. Real quick, that is also the definition of mercy. Right. This action is the definition right. of mercy. Somebody else pointed out, I think it was an economist, that uh, the good Samaritan couldn't have been good without money. Because <laughs> <laughs> he had to actually cough up the money to help this fellow. Lord, do you have any other comments? Our time's running short here. What's what's on your mind about anything? Else? Let's sum it up here. Gary, I will keep your wife in prayer for her health, and you guys have Thank you. a super blessed day, and happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Thank you, Laura. We appreciate that. Yeah, Sharon, as I mentioned before, is an integral part of the church here um, since its inception, and so everybody is praying for her speedy recovery because she does so many things for every for all the people here so in any event we've got a couple minutes left uh i thank those who called and uh, i don't think we got any text today during the show but uh, i appreciate it if you want to text take a look at our website we are just christians.com take a look take a look not at the website we are just christians.com uh, you'll find there a link to the recordings for this radio show a little bit down the page. You'll find a tab at the top for sermons. You can search by topic for 10 or 12 years of recorded lessons on all different kinds of subjects uh, are put up there each week. And you can search through those and you can get them as a podcast. Take a look at some of the other materials. You'll find also about the church, where we meet and all that. We're at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard. 
here in Port St. Lucie. Come and worship with us. We have a Bible class beginning here at about 10, 10 or so. You can come to the Bible class, studying the book of Genesis right now. You can uh, also come for our 11 o'clock worship. Uh, at we have communion and preaching and so forth. We're not going to ask you for money there or anything like that. Come and just see what it's like. We would. I know you'll meet some good people and you'll enjoy being here. So thanks for listening today. We really appreciate it. Tune in again next week, and may God bless you. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church on WPSL Port St. Lucie.